0: Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by McLean Deemer for the new Guild Wars 2 expansion called Secrets of the Obscure. Now, the expansion that came out before this, End of Dragons, that's the last time McLean and I talked about Guild Wars. And the music for the expansion End of Dragons was heavily influenced by Korean classical music and instruments along with um, kind of this synthy, edgy synth blend. Uh, for Secrets of the this- The Obscure, it's very different. It's a very, uh, I guess, simple Western orchestra. Few soloists, just sweeping melodies with the occasional mysterious vibe to match the wizardry. I always love having McLean on. He just always has so many cool things to say. I always learn things from him. One of the things uh, that was maybe most interesting about all of this is the very brief amount of time that McLean had to do it. So he talks about that as well and how he managed all of that. Join us on Discord. That link is down in the show notes. Hey, we're on Instagram now. That's weird. That only took us however many years. <laughs> um, and if you can support us on Patreon, that'd be amazing. Patreon.com level. And don't forget to look for this conversation over on YouTube. Here's McLean Deemer talking about Guild Wars 2 Secrets of the Obscure.
1: This is um, the fourth expansion for Guild Wars 2. This is Secrets of the Obscure.
0: Love that name, uh, by the way.
1: Yeah, it's it, the, the first three definitely had a similar kind of cadence. And this one is kind of like that, but it almost feels like, um, oh, I don't know, like a Harry Potter movie or a, or a James Bond. There's like something else. There's like another layer of, of uh, intrigue and mystery in the in the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting about this one is for people who've been kind of following along, even casually, since Guild Wars 2 launched, which was 11 years ago this month, it, it it followed what we call the dragon cycle, right? So there's this, the source of magic and energy in, in the world that Guild Wars 2 takes place in has uh, are these things called elder dragons, and they're almost like elemental forces. Um, and slowly over the last 11 years, or 10 years, I guess, if it ended with uh, end of dragons, right? As you might guess. They become a problem and they start throwing the balance of things out of whack in in uh, Tyria, which is the name of the land that Guild Wars 2 takes place in. Uh, and so you have to take care of them, uh, which means killing them or absorbing their power or consolidating their power or whatever whatever, whatever you want to call it. A lot of killing of dragons, uh, I guess, now that I think about it. Um, and so that culminated in the expansion that came out last year, End of Dragons. Uh which was, you know, we were saying this is the end of the dragon cycle. It's the end of the story that started with the launch of the game in 2012. Okay. Well now what? Right. Um, and so that's what, that's what secrets of the obscure is, you know, there's been kind of a, a what they call a content drought since the last expansion came out. I don't, f- I could be wrong about this, but I personally have not written any music for the game since then. So it's been over a year. Um, and I don't think there's been even little bits. There might be, like, balance updates. They do, they'll do. they do little things here and there, but there hasn't been any sort of significant story chunks as far as I can... No, that's not true. There's been one little sort of bite-sized chunk that I did write some music for, now that I think about it. Okay. Um, but it, but so so sort of small that it it's kind of fell off my radar. Um, this is uh, the beginning of a new co- uh, sort of content release model that the studio is trying to do, which is... Rather than several years going by and then these big expansions coming out, they're trying to scale things down and have um, you know maybe three quarters of the size of, of previous expansions, and have one come out once a year, followed by some what we're calling quarterly releases. So the additional content that will come out afterwards, um, and then once those uh, additional small bite-sized releases are done, you know, bam, another expansion. Uh, so this is the first attempt at that, and it's it's been a learning process for all of us. And then on a story from a story perspective, you'd think, well, okay, end of dragons. We, you know, we've spent over a decade investing in this story. Like, what do we do now? Um, and we're going to uh, this kind of um, it's called the Wizard's Tower. I'm sure there's probably a fancier name for that. But but in in one of the original maps, uh, Keswick's Hills, which is this sort of pastoral. Uh, you know, sort of green verdant, you know, fantasy type map um, that you, that you start off in when you're a, a, when you pick the human race in the original game, that's like the starter map for the human area in the distance, there was this kind of floating Island with a structure on top of it. Um, the yeah. wizard's tower. And, uh, and, you know, for 11 years, people have been saying, well, what is that thing? Cause you couldn't get over there. It was just kind of in the distance in the map, but there was no way to physically uh, physical way to get over there. Well, that's where we're going in nice. uh, in Secrets of the Obscure. And um, it's interesting because working on it, you know, I realized that after 11 years of working on the game, uh, more actually, so 13 years of working on the game since 2010, um, the I'd, even though it's a game, a fantasy game and there's magic involved and stuff, I'd, I'd never heard, no one had ever used the word wizard. And it was like a zombie show where they never say zombie in it, you know, and all of a sudden they start saying zombie. And I thought, wow, it's so strange to think that there's wizards in Guild Wars. Uh, I guess people have been calling that tower the Wizards Tower, but it just it wasn't sort of a uh, a word that was thrown around a lot from the studio perspective. Um, and yeah, so from a musical perspective, you know, what does that mean? Well, we've had all these legacy sort of themes that we've been building on and expanding on for, for you know, years relating to the dragons and all these other familiar characters and uh races and maps you know all this stuff that's just piled on top of itself for for a decade and it's not that we're throwing that all out because it's still guild wars 2 but you know it's we have to really hit the reset button um and and i had to hit the reset button think okay now what you know how do i make this fresh while still sitting alongside all the all the previous music and that was it was a big challenge
0: so different than End of Dragons, right? I mean, when we had that interview, you gave me like, you took me to school about all these (laughs) Korean instruments and instruments I'd never heard of, although I might've known their relatives, right? But it's, it's, this is so Western orchestral, right? Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. um, so tell me, tell me about that.
1: Well that was the problem right is is the first thing I had to do was say well we, we had such as we made such a strong impression or ha- the the identity of the previous soundtrack was so strongly rooted in this Korean stuff with a little bit of that you know opening up the can of worms of synthesizers and electronic elements but but you know that was definitely secondary to the Korean influence. It was just years of of studying that stuff and and trying to make sure we get it right and, and finding the right people to play it and finding the right way to talk about it and all, all this kind of stuff. And then so on that on that expansion on End of Dragons I had roughly two years to from start to finish from like the very first conversations to sketches to writing, rewriting a lot of rewriting, throwing stuff out. Um and then, uh, you know, recording it, then recording the soloists and trying to balance it all. And it was such an enormous project, and I was so proud of it. I still am, it's probably, to me, it's it's the high watermark of my career, certainly, um, just from how much work it went into it. Not that this is a step down, but it was just, it took so much to, to get to the finish line, and it sounded how I wanted it to when we started, which is, that almost never happens. And then on this one, you know, I knew that the studio was going to sort of shift their plans and how to release content. Uh, And at the very beginning of the year, or I guess at the very end of last year into the beginning of this year, you know, we'd started having conversations about, hey, we're ramping things up again. We're going to need some more music. Um, And the timeline they handed me was not two years. It was (laughs) uh, I looked at it and I was like, you want me to do this in. What ended up being four months. What? So four no. months, yes, four months to write. Now I will say that it was less music. The the end of dragons had about two hours of music, give or take. Okay. Um this one only had an hour. <laughs> um but you know yeah they said we well we need an hour of music and uh uh and yeah you have four months to do it like and, and even that started getting eaten into because it took a while to meet with the team and sort of hash out the details. I'm, I'm like, guys, we're, we're on the clock. Like we're running out of time. Uh, believe yeah. me. So, um, it's the fastest I've ever written music for the game ever. Uh, wow. and, and, and I, I had, I needed help, which we'll probably get to, um, that was the only, and I told him, I said, if you want the music to be good, I can give you this much, which ended up being about 20, 25 minutes of music. Uh, and then we had help in, in other areas where we needed it. Um, which I'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, so then the other problem was, well, we had such a strong identity on end of dragons. What's this one going to be about? How how can I, you know, come up with something comparable in in four months? And that's not like I have four months to write that's four, that's four months to, you know, write, write demos, get approval from the studio uh, send out like music direct, all the additional composers Manage the process of getting ready for the live recording, which is its own separate beast, and then after the recording, managing the process of mixing it and approving mixes and mastering, and coming up with titles. Four months is that's not a lot of time. That's, insane. that's like that's like operating on a sort of TV schedule, basically. Um, yeah. And this music is much more. Not to the TV music is, is is because of the speed of it. It's often not that complicated. You know, so some things are, and it's it's based on scheduling and, and budgets and, and mm-hmm. team size. Right. But, but um, oftentimes it's like just little hints at cues and things. And if it's a half hour show, it might only have 15 or 20 minutes of like little bits and pieces of music. Well, this is like big fantasy music, right? It's yeah. gotta be fully orchestrated. It has to sound like Guild Wars, which means, you know, you kind of have to put it on outside of the game and be able to, to listen to it and follow along. And I'm I'm just racking my brain over what, what are we going to do? And I looked in the schedule There was the schedule was sort of based on the end of Dragon's schedule, but like scaled down to seventy five percent, and it had in there two weeks for recording soloists, and that was the first thing I said to the audio director. I was like, "We got it. No soloists on this one. There's no way we can find unusual instruments and dedicate that time. We need that time to write and produce stuff." Mm. And then I thought, well, I just I don't want to hack out another hour of of sort of you know generic fantasy game music, um, that, that would be easy, but that, I, I don't know. I'm so protective of Guild Wars yeah. and the idea that every time we get to do an expansion, it's a big thing and let's make it different and interesting and, and tailor made to the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm like, what are, what are we going to do? Okay, so what can what can I lock into? Wizards. All right, this this concept of wizards. This is unfamiliar territory for me. Um, ha, you know, so it needs to sound mystical and magical, and you know, knowing I won't spoil it, but knowing what happens in the story, uh, you know, we've already got sort of like pretty fantasy, lush sort of stuff. But this is it takes a different turn, right? It's it's not all like it's not uh, you know, sort of uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? It's not like happy, sort of playful. Uh, mysterious. It's like unsettling, you know, yeah, uneasy, yeah. uneasy. Definitely. And, and, and I, uh, what I locked into, and this, this, the timing of this was very fortunate, but something happened in my brain in the last year post end of dragons, where this concept of polytonality just kind of made sense to me. Right. And I I've been saying it to people. I, I now let me preface this by saying, I'm not some sort of virtuoso or savant. I've just been doing this for a very long time. And you know, always trying to get better, um, which means I'm constantly studying. Uh, always, I, you know, I have scores every, everywhere. I have so many scores. Currently, I have uh, Gremlins score. <laughs> <Nice.
0: laughs> That's my latest, my
1: latest study uh, score. Um, but I have you know, repertoire stuff that that the Planets and and yeah. uh, Rite of Spring and Deafness at Chloe and all that stuff. Um, just trying to find little new bits of information to to. To mm-hmm. steal essentially, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and polytonality is this one that I've been so afraid of. I guess you know my music is not the most harmonically sophisticated, which I'm totally fine with, and I don't think it needs to be. You know, I'm so melody focused that it can be very diatonic. It could just kind of exist in in a, a key. Pick a key, float around there. You know, maybe throw a couple of interesting chords in there, but that's fine because I don't. You know, I don't want the the clever harmony to distract from what to me is more important, which is sort of telling a story or an emotion through thematic material. Um, but you know'm I'm, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to push my own boundaries and this idea of polytonality all of a sudden it just made sense and I, and I say it's like that scene in the matrix where now this is this character is a bad guy but uh, <laughs> uh, re- is revealed to be a bad guy spoiler alert for a 25 year old movie. Um, <laughs> but there's that scene where he, uh, the computer guy is kind of looking at all these monitors with the green text scrolling you know yeah. vertically. And he goes, I look at this and I don't even see code anymore. I just see blonde, brunette, redhead, you know, and again, he's a bad guy. There's obviously some built in misogyny in that. But the idea that like you're not you're not seeing um, you're not seeing, you know, the kind of like underpinnings of it It all just sort of makes sense to you in a way that that it doesn't to anybody else. Now, yep. again, I'm not claiming that this doesn't make sense to anybody else or it's yeah. some advanced concept, but it just it, cl- it clicked for me. Um, and I thought, well, that's an interesting, maybe that's the hook. That's the hook of all of at least the ambient music, right? Combat music and action stuff is going to be what it is, but for the ambient stuff, which is always my focus, usually, um, that will be, that will provide the tension and the interesting sort of, um, through line that, that will evoke what this new, uh, area is going to be this new sort of story that we're telling. Um, and it, it, for people should I explain what polytonality is? Should I
0: oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's what I did my thesis on in Oh amazing. My okay, great. Thesis, All right. Then you on. can tell me
1: if I'm if I'm explaining it properly. <laughs> I'm sure you'll ba- do it right. Uh basically it's 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 an extrapolation of you know Western tonality, right? So there's diatonic, which is just pick a key, you know, A minor, C major, whatever, stay in that key. Then there's uh, you know, the the harmony is in those keys based around triads, major and minor chords. That then it turned into you know, major seventh chords and minor seventh chords. And then the harmony continues to sort of spread out further from there, but st- while still all being diatonic, meaning it only uses those uh seven notes or 12 notes in a, in a scale. Polytonality is like taking two s- uh, barely related keys, you know, the thinnest of relations and sometimes no relation at all, and kind of just plopping them on top of each other is, is the easiest way to describe it. And, um, that tension, that built-in tension, it, it's very, it's a very delicate balance uh, to get to make sure it doesn't sound like crap, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to, because it really relies very heavily on the orchestration to um, enhance it or support it, rather than have it turn into like I'm taking every soda from the from the soda machine and just putting them all in one cup, and it turns into this brown you nonsense, know yeah. or every every color paint and just mis- mashing them all together. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a tightrope walk to do it right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just, that's kind of what this is and you, and you'll feel it. And it's, it's, it's a sound that most people are familiar with, not so much from modern day movie scores, because those have become more simplified. But if you go back and listen to John Williams, such a prime example, you know, mm-hmm. he just, he's all about that stuff. And again, I'm not comparing myself to John Williams in any way, <laughs> but, um, those moments where, uh, you know, it's sort of, uns- you know, he, he uses it to, to signify, yeah, tension and unfamiliarness uh, in, in, in a, a masterful way. Like mm-hmm. like the opening of uh, Jurassic Park, right, has this, it's sort of, sort of loose, kind of floats in, and then there's this sort of low synth that goes like bong, and then there's this big choir chord, this huge choir swell of a chord, and I think maybe some strings, and that is like polytonality. So yeah, I just I uh, I tried to weave that into everything. There's also a little bit of impressionistic stuff with the whole tone. There's like one or two spots where there's some whole tone stuff. Um, uh, you know, me channeling Debussy a little bit oh, yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Not comparing myself, but but it just it just sort of the 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 idea behind it was okay. Wizards Tower, great, but I didn't want it to be fun. You know, Harry Potter sort of fun light right. Uh, right. like wizardy magic sound. Which is which is definitely a default. It's like have it be sort of spry, play a little theme on a celeste. Uh, great wizards, you know. <laughs> yeah. This was more like it, it's more like you're you're peeling back a veil to another realm, mm-hmm. which is kind of what's happening. Um, and and it's 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 almost like your brain can't make sense of it, and so the polytonality of the music I think helps express that in, in a musical way.
0: Yeah, and there are so many great examples of, of you using it. And, you know, uh, two of my favorites, one is in the second track, which I didn't write down the name of, and that was silly. Uh, it's
1: uh, called A, a Fractured, Fractured Horizon. Horizon. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, and I loved this because the, there's like a, there's a drone, right? You have yeah. this drone through the whole thing, and then everything just kind of shifts around that drone, which uh, I, I really, really enjoyed. And then... Um, well, why don't you talk? just talk about that, and then we'll talk about uh, one of the other spots where I, I really uh, like that feel.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. the the drone is kind of the easiest way to, to dip your toes into the polytonality thing, because sure. when you start stacking chords, unrelated chords, on top of each other, that's really where you, your orchestration chops have to be you know, spot on. Um, mm-hmm. But if you just sort of throw a drone in there, it's like you can do all this floaty – in that particular track, there's all this floaty stuff in the strings – and there's again i mean this one is kind of straight out of the john williams playbook where there, it's just high string chords doing what they call planing which is moving between chords without voice leading where you know the 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 101 level ethos of voice leading is move the fewest amount of notes possible to get to the next chord um well this planing is like the opposite of that it's like here's the chord shape and we're just going to keep moving it up and down and never change the interval relationships so if you it's, it's a great sound. Uh, it's like, it just kind of works and it makes harmonizing things very easy. It's like you come up with a melody and you go, great. Well, that's now just a minor chord that we're going to move around. Yeah. Um, and then if you just toss a drone underneath it, we've talked about the, the, this in the past where this is a thing I just love doing. And it's not because I've been studying John Williams or Debussy or whoever. It's because I really love Van Halen and like the Alan Parsons project and all these bands that just do this thing where their bass is just playing a pedal tone the whole time mm-hmm. and things are moving around on top of it. This is the orchestral version of that. Um, uh, But yeah, but it's like it's it's purposely trying to kind of throw you off. So it's like all the chords might be moving around in the key of C minor or something. I read a lot in C minor. Um, So C minor, it's all this stuff is happening up, up top. But then instead of having a C drone way at the bottom, it's got like a D you know and so you're like what key are we in you know and (laughs) and 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 again it it feels like a trick it almost i mean it is a trick but but it's it's a sophisticated trick um so yeah that's that particular piece has that this is another thing I love doing is like, okay, I've got a two minute piece, two and a half minutes. I want to, I want you to be so sick of things not changing. I want, I want to push you to the absolute brink. I'm going to give you like a full minute, maybe a minute and a half of things just being like flat the whole time. And then, oh my gosh, it's going to change a little bit, drift around and then come back to that. And so this, this is one of those tracks where I'm like, how long can people stand this? Okay, this, I think, is the moment where it's got to change. And when it hits that you know, resolution to another chord, it's like, oh, it's like this huge weight gets lifted off your back. Yeah, loved it. I do that a lot. That's another trick. I, you, you'll notice <laughs> it. In my career retrospective, whenever that is, they'll, they'll, they'll notice that. I do this a lot, McLean.
0: There's a really great harmonic kind of climax in Memories Forgotten as well, where, you know, it, it definitely reminds me of really that turn of the century, the 19th and 20th, or I mean, sorry, 20th into tw- Wait, shit. <laughs> 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 oh, hilarious. It reminds me of Debussy and Stravinsky, Prokofiev, mm-hmm. all that time, late 1900s into the early. No. God damn it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Late 1800s into the early 1900s is yes. what. Um, so yes, 19th into 20th century. Good lord! <laughs> um, uh, I, I and I heard a lot of that, and I really loved it. Um, but yeah, there's this moment right before the end of Memories Forgotten. It's just like two minutes in, or maybe a minute fifty-five in, or something like that, and it just mm-hmm. comes to this giant. Polytonal chord that I just loved.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Uh, I'm glad you picked up on it. That was a moment. You know, every you always have to have your little moments where you're like, "This is going to do the job," but I got to have I got to have something in there for me that's going to make me happy. (laughs) And that was one of those where I thought, "It's like, what if we were cruising along in this one gear, and then we, you know, we're in fifth gear or something? We just downshift to third and like floor it and just, (laughs) you know, take off or throw throw on the nitrous oxide and then go to the moon." yeah, I. Uh, that was one where I thought, you know, I, this was another thing that that kind of clicked in my brain. In addition to the polytonal stuff, is I realized, you know, it's it's a cliche, but you have to know all the rules before you can break them, right? And so, yeah. um, I've all I, I like playing it safe. I'm happy to do that in terms of yeah my harmonic uh, language, um, if I have one. But I started to realize that. You don't need to prepare modulations. You don't need to justify anything. I mean, music theory and analysis is an extremely useful tool. And I'm not saying you shouldn't know that stuff. I, I do think that I, if you're going to write this kind of music, you need to know it. Um, but you, know, you don't need it for all music. But I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a curious guy. I like knowing things. So so understanding the relationships between things and having a justification for them is cool. I'm a geek about that stuff. And I think most people that do this are. Um, but... at a a certain point it can become a trap where you say, well, I can't do that because it, it breaks X, Y, and Z rule. Or I have no, you know, you have no sort of rationale for it. And I just started to realize that you don't, you don't have to just like, you know, um, it's like this sort of idiom of like act like you belong. Okay. Well just do it. It's like, if you have the confidence, just like hit some, some crazy core change like that, just do it. And people will go along with you, you know? Um, and so I just started, I started not thinking about modulation I, and, and I, I'm not a very good piano player, but I can sit down and I can sort of drift around and, uh, you know, things come out of me much quicker. If I just don't worry about why I'm going to X, Y, and Z spot from mm-hmm. ABC. Um, and that was one of them. I thought I'm just going to take a crazy, like left turn here and, uh, and have that be the biggest moment so that the shock of it is immediately dissipated because you're just overwhelmed, you know? For people our age, maybe like like the Maxell tape guy just getting blown back in his chair. It's it's like that kind of moment um, where yeah, you, like it's choir, it's brass, it's woodwinds. Everybody's on you know fortissimo and and uh, it's fun. It's a fun moment and it, and it's it helps break up the monotony of just like you know constant sort of chugging away on the strings for action stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, so much great brass in the score, too. Um, A a lot of great horn stuff throughout. uh, And then you just kind of go wild with it, and the beast emerges, just lots of tuba and trombone and, like, horns doubling with trombone. And, like, I just, I mean, the brass player in me just melts for that kind of thing. But just hearing, it's nice to hear that kind of, energy from a traditional orchestra, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yes, yeah. this is this is one of the many things you can do and it's awesome. I love
1: it. You know, this is something I've learned because with with Guild Wars, not to get too in the weeds on this, but um, you know, we don't have a we don't have a blank check to produce these soundtracks. And truly we've never we've never really gone outside of the traditional lineup uh the traditional orchestral lineup. So I, I would say we even the brass, you know, is pretty standard. So for people that don't know, it's it's generally four French horns, three trumpets, three trombones, one of which is a bass trombone and a tuba. And that's it. That's all you get. And that's a lot because they can make a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, there's reasons to go to six horns, which is probably the most common kind of upgrade so that you can have them double on three note chords or give people some rests, you know, every once if you're asking them to do just crazy loud stuff. And there's some justification for having four trombones. So you can have triads in the trombones and then just double the bass with the tuba and the bass trombone. But that's it. We've never even gotten there. That's like pretty, that's pretty low level upgrades, I would say. Um, And with the strings, you know, and woodwinds, it's pretty, pretty standard. We don't have, you know, 40 strings or whatever it's it's a pretty modest size but it's enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then what they say call, what they call double woodwinds which is just two of everything two flutes two oboes two clarinets uh two bassoons and and within those one player will usually double some of the auxiliary instruments right so one flute player can play the piccolo but that means you can't have two flutes right if you're gonna use a piccolo you have a flute and a piccolo um, or an oboe can double on english horn but mm-hmm. then you have you know whatever that, that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, but, but I've, I've never had a chance to work with him, but I've studied with him. There's, there's a, a a composer and orchestrator in LA. He's like a legend named Conrad Pope and Conrad, um, in addition to being his own unbelievable composer has done a lot of orchestration work and a significant chunk of his work was with John Williams starting with, um, Jurassic park until, Ooh, what was his last one with him? Maybe the third Harry Potter movie. Uh, okay. and, and I think he's dabbled with him a little bit, but the, but during that sort of 15 year run or so he worked, he was the main guy. Um, and so he knows his stuff because John doesn't keep people around uh, if you don't. Um, <laughs> so, but one thing he says is that if it's, if he says um, orchestration problems are composition problems, which means like, you know, solve it before you get to the stage where you have to rebalance everything or revoice things, Mm. you know, do it, start in the writing. And if it's, if it's a well orchestrated piece, he's like a hundred people at Abbey road can make anything sound good. Right. But it's way harder to make 40 people sound as big as a hundred people at Abbey road, Mm. but it's not, it's not impossible. And that's, that's where the craft really comes into play. And again, I'm not anywhere on his level at all, but it was interesting hearing him say that and then having him play some examples. And you think, like he um sorry apologies for the tangent but maybe this Please. is what's interesting about this whole subject um <laughs> there's a video of him if you, if you if people are curious you can google conrad pope um spelt just like how it sounds and there's a video of him uh from a few years ago when they were opening up a, a new sound stage in in vienna called the Syn- synchron stage s y n c h r o n which is where half of your favorite scores nowadays get recorded Um, but they were, it was this beautiful old hall that was built in the thirties that somebody bought and resurrected, um, as a new option for scoring in, in Europe. And they hired Conrad to come and, and, uh, record some pieces there. And he, he does, I think it might be Jurassic park or it might be a Harry Potter piece. It's, it's one of the pieces that he had done with, with John Williams at some point, but it's orchestrated for, for a very, very stripped down group. Definitely not the hundred pieces at. Sony or at Abbey road or something. And you know, you close your eyes and you can't tell. Um, and so, so my original point being that we don't have the luxury of just throwing money at, uh, an orchestra and saying, get whatever it takes. Right. And there's other studios that do and, and, and they, they do a phenomenal job, um, kind of executing things at a high level, but we don't have that. And do we need it? I don't think so. It's, you know, it's really rooted in that sort of classical orchestral, you know, late romantic period tradition, which is a larger orchestra than Mozart or Bach. But it's still, you know, it's it's 60 to seventy is, is pretty much average. And that's if you include yeah. harp, harp and piano and percussion and all that stuff. 60 to, 60 to 70 people. Um, so, Yes. I'm I'm rambling about this, but but um, <laughs> okay. but 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 we get what we need out of that, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 it comes down to the writing, and that's not just me, but that's the other people that also wrote for this soundtrack. They, they did a phenomenal job of extracting everything out of that group, and then the other part of that, of course, is the the players themselves, right? and also the studio. I would say so. We recorded this in Nashville. Oh, okay. at uh, At Ocean Way, which is where we did End of Dragons. Mm-hmm most mostly the same people uh on on both scores um and that room for people that don't know the, the the Nashville doesn't have a huge scoring stage like there are in Los Angeles or there are in London or even Synchron in Vienna or a couple of the places in Europe it's it's an, a convert it's an old church that they converted into a, a recording facility and it's big but it's not i would say it's medium medium big um and so you can't actually record uh, a full orchestra, 60 or 70 people at the same time, you have to do it with strings and we did it with strings and woodwinds together. Okay. And that was, it was tight in there. Uh, it was a lot of people. And then the next day we did all the brass and they're all sitting where they would, if they were all playing together so that when you put them on top of each other, it, it works. hmm um, but the nature of that room being a little tinier is that it ha- has a lot more energy. So you don't need as many people to to get the air moving and get sure. that big sound. So like we only had, I think maybe two bass players, which doesn't seem like enough to get a lot of low end, but there's something about the acoustics in that room that when they hit one of those low notes on their, on the lowest string, it's like, Whoa, it just, it feels like there's a subwoofer. It's it, it just resonates so well. So yeah. So between that and and of course the brass are just phenomenal sight readers they laid down all all the brass for the entire soundtrack in one day and i think we even wow. stopped we even cut like half an hour early because we were already done um, <laughs> they're just unbelievable so yeah it's this synergy of all that you know the writing the orchestration the mm-hmm. the players that are playing at the room you record in all those things play a factor but but my original point which is what you brought up is that um, it's not some spectacular kind of we got fifty French horns in a room for some reason, and it—you it, know—the truth <laughs> is that looks good on the social media posts and on YouTube and for marketing. Does Sounds it make terrible. it sound better, yeah. uh, you know. And then you're mixing in <laughs> samples anyway. I don't know. To me, there's yeah. there's like a, a flattening effect that happens when you just go a little bit overboard. Now, would I say no to having fifty French horns at Abbey Road? No, <laughs> but it's never going to happen uh, on Guild Wars.
0: you know just kind of about you know the music some of it being kind of creepy and mysterious and not not in a you know jester kind of way right not in an impish mm-hmm. way but more devilish like and and I there's a track you wrote called is it amnitus I don't know how to say that word
1: I've in- been saying am, am, amnitus but amnidis. it might be am, amnitus okay. so. so I don't know if I've ever heard it said out loud. I've only ever read it in documentation. So, you know, we're, we're both right.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds great. It's that word, In Peril. That's the name of the track. Yeah. And I just loved it. I loved how creepy it was and how there's like this kind of like almost like a drum cadence groove in the back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like this constant groove going on. So uh, I really, really enjoyed that track. Tell me about it.
1: Sure. So... This is one of those ones where, I, you know, I. There's always a couple of these on every soundtrack where I think, is this going too far for Guild Wars? (laughs) You know, Um, because it this one has, uh, you know, some those sort of the percussive element that you're talking about is, um, you know, just a synthesizer sequence that's like kind of bubbles up from below. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Now I will say that synthesizers are not you know, completely foreign to Guild Wars going all the way back to the, the core game and the core soundtrack before I even got involved. But usually very light and usually just to maybe enhance some of the upper harmonics of the strings or, or a choir or something. It's, it's, and it's just washed out with reverb and tucked in the background just to glue everything together. Um, End of Dragons is where we really just push them out in the forefront. So the, yeah. so the seal had al- had already, already been broken. And I thought, well, I can at least get away with that as long as it's appropriate, right? The, the 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 justification for it with End of Dragons was that we're going to this technologically very advanced society in relative terms for a fantasy game. Um, and so this was reflecting that. This game has, you know, some of that, but it's not nearly the same as it was in, in End of Dragons. So I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to try because it needs, you know, w- when I think about writing, especially tension or action pieces, and I guess even ambient, there's got to be, you know, there's melody, harmony, and rhythm, right? The, the, the core uh, building blocks of all music, uh, not just orchestral music. But, you know, there's got to be some kind of motor to keep things moving forward. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a light and airy track, right? The, the motor can be as simple as, like, okay, it's a super slow tempo, but the chords are changing when they need to, right? And and that's like a very slow motor that you sort of feel, you know, uh, more uh, in a more subtle way. Pretension y stuff like this got to be you know got to keep the energy up so i started there i thought mm, i'm just gonna try that and then maybe as a distraction from the, the pulsing sense, there's just like noise it's like electronic noise that kind of drifts around you and that's definitely new for guild wars i'm like man this is we'll see we'll see if they like it i don't know um uh, but then you layer in the orchestral stuff and it, and it makes sense, right? It, the, neither of those things are the focus of it. They're just right. the frame, the framework that the rest of it is built around. Um, and again, it feels like a trick, but, uh, and, it, and it is, you know, in terms of scoring, but but it's effective is, you know, you have a, a line moving around that's just, you double, you play in that, stay as low in the register as you can on the, the, the celli and the basses and just have them double it in octaves. And it sounds so sinister. You don't really need to do much else. Um, So that's kind of how, that's how it starts to get you in that feeling and and your ear is pulled towards that because that's, it takes the, you know, that's essentially the melody, even though it's like way, way down, that's, that's basically the melody at that point. And then it sort of breaks into one of those big, uh, this is another thing I love doing, you know, setting things up, you know, okay, we're pulling you in and then just, it it like hits you with this big exploded out chord. Um, you know and that's what happens in the strings and then this is another definitely a trick polytonality and big complex extended harmony chords work all you got to do just orchestrate for the strings don't worry about anything else it's like <laughs> they're so you know because they're the biggest section in the orchestra and this is you know most people probably know this or at least composers certainly know this i hope um, it, you know they're it's the biggest section of the orchestra they're playing the most often and even though the there's a, a million of them sonically they're the most homogenous compared to the other sections where woodwinds are it's kind of like you get one of everything and so balancing them <laughs> is, is very very tricky and is so dependent on range and dynamics um because they don't flutes don't sound like oboes don't sound like clarinets don't sound like bassoons right and yeah. it's like in, insane that they get grouped into one block <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's and it's why a lot of people avoid writing for them at least Avoiding writing things other than solos. It's like, mm. oh, it's so easy to have a beautiful flute solo. Yeah. It's much more difficult to find interesting ways to, you know, have them hold the harmony down rather than, oh, just default to the, you know, horns playing it or the strings playing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and the brass is slightly more homogenous, but not really. Uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. I mean, physically the horns don't even sit next to the rest of the brass, which right. is to me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the sound is come is projecting backwards from the horns, which is nuts. Um, yeah. And you're supposed to f- kind of find ways to balance them. And it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge. And that's the fun part, of- I like that, right? We all like that, that's the yeah. fun part of the challenge. But with strings, they're just this beautiful safety net. Yeah. Um, they don't have to breathe so they can just hold a note for forever, which is awesome. <laughs> And then, and then they just sound, you know, when they're all playing together. Provided you're not breaking the rules of like the, acoust- the physics of acoustics, right? Which yeah. is gets tricky in lower registers as the the overtones start to fight each other. Mm-hmm. As long as you, as long as you keep things clean down there, they can kind of do anything. <laughs> um, and that's 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 what's happening in that moment. There's there's a big there's a moment where there's just this big exploded out chord. Yeah, it's kind of like you, see, you can almost just kind of mash your fingers on the piano and then just pick. And say, okay, this one will be the violas, then we've got, the, you know, <laughs> uh, and it just kind of works.
0: love it. Yeah. I really, really dug that track. Um, it, it, and, and other, you know, places where where the mystery is alive, Curious Allies. This one, very mystical and mysterious. Um, and I swear there's Celesta in there, which you had a little dig about earlier. <laughs> but I think there's, <laughs> there's some chimey stuff happening in there, which I, I really liked, Curious Allies.
1: Yeah, this 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 might be my favorite track on um, on the whole thing. There's there's a little bit of celeste, I, you know. It, you have to use it. Um, it's the but, best.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's an incredible instrument. But yeah. between March of the Sugar Plum Fairies yeah. and uh, and uh, Hedwig, Hedwig's theme, you know, it's like it's like you can't use sleigh bells on anything that's not a Christmas song, right? right. It's just like yes. you can't use the celeste on anything that's not referencing uh uh Tchaikovsky yeah. or Harry Potter yeah um so so you have to use it sort of uh sparingly um this one uh, this is the one that's very um it's not Debussy, it's not it doesn't sound like Debussy too much a little bit but it has that whole tone this is the one that's like. yeah almost all whole tone and um that sort of motif, You know that's a very important motif um there's it's played uh in the it's the first time you hear it's played in the harp right but it's it's basically a d it's like a d augmented chord i guess let me look at my piano here uh yes yes exactly um but starting from opposite ends and just coming towards the middle right so i think it starts with uh boy this is embarrassing how how did i I do this yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah, so it's like the first two notes of the phrase are just D major, but then that final one is where you hear the augmented um, fifth. So, yeah, I, it, again, it's that thing where it's like, oh, it's familiar, but wait, it's a little bit different, right? That raised fifth degree is is that aug- that the augmented fifth is just like such a what? What are we doing here? You yeah. know, and it just throws everything out of whack.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's also it might be on that one. There might be. It's. I don't. I didn't do it with the real one, unfortunately. Uh, just a sample. But there. I think there's some. One of the sort of crazy synth sounds in the background is actually like a whirly tube, like a plastic oh, whirly tube, like a kid's toy. Um, but but you know what I was sort of referen- referencing in my mind was um, like the Star Trek music, right? The, the that opening. I don't know if they did it on the original one, but I know that when uh, James, I'm, I think, on either the second or third Star Trek movie one of James Horner's scores uh, when he hits the, like the sort of classic inner, when he references the classic interval before going into his own thing, yeah. there's, and there's videos of, of orchestras performing this. They have two guys yes. in the percussion section with these whirly tubes, which is so funny to me. So those poor it. percussion guys. It's like, I mean, actually, maybe they're having the best time because yeah, they're they making bank about,
0: doing this man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they get to just like play toys. The other people are like, oh, my million dollar violin that's yeah. some, that's some, you know, wealthy benefactor is is donating to me to, so right. he can brag to his friends. I'm back here swinging a plastic tube around that we just bought at Walmart, yeah. you know, an hour before the show. <laughs> um, but it creates, it creates that it, it basically, it does what a synthesizer would do, which is create that sort of bed of, of, uh, yeah. Sort of, you know, swirly modulation kind of stuff, just toss some reverb on it and it sounds great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, this is my favorite track. And it's one of those ones I where it, it um, I, I, and I do this even in my non orchestral scores. I love, I just love the idea of things kind of bubbling up from underneath the surface. And there's, there's some of that in the background, um, you know, supporting what the orchestra is doing. And, and I love, I love things that make you kind of like lean in when you're listening. Yeah. What? is that, you know, I love that.
0: In the Wizards, there's another really great swell that happens. And it's just like one, one minute in and the brass kind of swells. The horn has a little bitty, itty bitty solo uh, leading into that. Um, the whole time the harp just is doing this undercurrent. The Wizards is one of my favorites as, mm. as well. It's really lovely uh, writing. There's like slightly dissonant flute solo after it all swells and yeah i just loved it loved it
1: thanks this was another one that um again just i like seeing how far you can stretch simple ideas right so it starts with uh the the bed is is um violas playing that kind of uh tremolo figure back and forth um with the harp just playing a constant pattern and then you know this beautiful consordino string line comes in but when it changes it's 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 very simple it's just that like triplet rhythm in the chords that sort of pulse and push things along um and and it's kind of just seeing how far i can take that right there, there's there is sort of a melodic through line in the strings but then about a third of the way through it just becomes uh seeing how far we can push this like bum 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 kind of rhythm. Yeah. And it, and everybody gets to do it, right? Um yeah. And then it gets a little pretty in the middle with yep. with the Woodwind solos and the sort of uh call and response with the flute and the, and the oboe. Yeah. And then it does this sort of same, similar thing to that, the action you track before where that final change, it's like, Arr! you just sort of grind into a, some <laughs> other gear and it doesn't resolve in the way you think it should. Yeah. Um, and that I love. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has, yeah, it goes back to the tremolo strings, but this time it's the celly and the viola and they're doing a figure that kind of on the page sort of does that where they, it yeah. goes in and out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as it and then it just drifts away. And also, we got to do things which I I love doing, never get to do, which is um, muted trumpets. I'm I'm like obsessed with making the orchestra quieter. There's enough loud <laughs> orchestra out there, and this is actually yep. another benefit of having a smaller ensemble. I'm like, how quiet can you guys play? You know, um, yeah. and I, I love the sound. I love the sound of muted trumpets, not the sort of jazzy mute, which which yeah. can be cool the, the harmon whatever. mute. It's, yeah, or the stem mute, right, also is, is like yep. almost too cartoony sounding. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just just to make it feel, you know, in in concert music when they want to, mutes are not, you know, some revolutionary thing that no one's ever used before. But, <laughs> uh, it, you know, oftentimes in some f- very famous concert pieces, they'll actually have like trumpets stand in the balcony or in the back of the hall to get a similar effect where it sounds like it's coming from really far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took that just just having those trumpets hit those kind of muted chords took a little bit of experimenting i think Mm. um which is one of the it's just one of the luxuries of working with real players they they know their instruments they bring all this they bring all this stuff with them that they never get to use and one of the things they bring is this like array of mutes yes let's try this one let's try this one let's try this one um and that was one of those times and it just it just came out it was exactly what i wanted right because Uh, trumpets playing like a triad over something so quiet is going to be so overwhelming and we could sort of fake it because we recorded them separately we could have pulled them down in the mix but it still would sound like loud trumpets just quiet (laughs) I wanted quiet trumpets you know anyway so that's, that's what's happening in that one
0: do you know what they landed
1: on oh gosh we were moving at such an insane pace yeah. Uh, yeah. i i I forget oh, that's okay. I don't think yeah. I think they always kind of start with um paper mutes which are you know the ones yeah. that just look like ice cream cones they jam in Yeah. and right. those 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 yeah those work um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay but they don't they take too much of the edge off it's like I wanted it to be quiet but have that kind of brittle Sure. high end. yeah, And that one just feels like you're talking, you know, with your hand over your mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I yeah. think it might've been, I think it might've been a metal mute of some sort, but I, oh, cool. I'd have to, I'd have to look. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. No I worries. Yeah.
0: That's just my nerdy curiosity getting the best. Yeah. Be there. I,
1: for, I forget. Yeah. It's I'm too, you know, Emily, we were moving at a, at pace. A superhuman pace and ba- so that breakneck was next speed. Yes. Yeah. That's yes.
0: insanity. Um, yeah. and one track we haven't talked about yet. I mean, there are many, but and we won't obviously get to talk about all of them. But one I definitely don't want to skip is the title track, "Secrets of the Obscure," the mm-hmm. the, the first track, which I really love. There's a lovely little um, violin solo in there, and then it just kind of expands again, and just really beautiful. So tell me, tell me about uh, writing that one.
1: Sure. So this one actually started as uh, it started its life as um, an ambient track that was one of these things where I was just going and trying to check stuff off the list. And I maybe didn't quite read the, the brief properly for this piece of music that we needed and they needed. So I think that, I think that the piece that that ended up being was, let me just click through some of these. Um, yeah. I, th- I think Am- amnitus in peril was ended up being the track. That was like the, what they actually wanted for that oh, section okay. of the game. But I was like, oh, I'll just write another cool sort of floaty drifty track. <laughs> and it started off the same with that violin solo. And then, you know, in the theme, it picks up and becomes a theme, like the energy changes, the tempo changes. Uh, in the ambient version of it, it stayed kind of like, you know, in third gear. Making I'm making a lot of car metaphors today. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really a car guy, but, <laughs> and and I wonder how many of your listeners even drive a manual transmission that they would understand this. Um,
0: they used to for so long.
1: Yeah. 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 Me too. Uh, and I miss it. Um, I miss it too. Well, we're driving a musical manual transmission yes, here are. so 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 we're, so we're into getting gear. into yeah, getting into third gear and it just kind <laughs> of stayed there before drifting off. And they said, "Well, this is nice. Maybe we can use this somewhere else, but it's not really what we need." And I said, "Oh, that's a bummer, right? I hate throwing out work." Um mm. so I let it sit for a couple of weeks and then when it came in, it was one of those things where I just, you know, it's midnight, I'm trying to relax and go to sleep. And all of a sudden it just like comes to me. <sighs> and I'm sitting there Thinking, I think I can take that, you know, quasi-rejected ambient piece. I think I can make that a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I won't have to change too much, right? So really that middle chunk uh is is uh is new material, but the book oh, okay. the book ends are pretty much the same. Um and yeah, that that one starts with another thing I love to do, which is uh take an instrument that's playing a sort of rhythmic pattern and then put some delay on it, put some effects on it to give it, you know, so it doesn't just sound like it's there's, there's this uh, below the, um the violin solos, there's this rhythmic sort of pulsing that's yeah. happening. And that's uh it's a marimba, it's a sample, but it's a marimba pattern with like a very intricately timed delay to give it that kind of ping ponging effect, yeah. but also have it kind of harmonized with itself. Right. So like when the delay yeah. is happening the the samples are playing a different note, but when they play on top of each other, it's a little chord or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's what that is. And then the viol is beautiful violin solo played by an amazing player named Paul Cartwright, who's mm. one of the big time studio guys okay. in in Los Angeles. Uh, incredible soloist. I've worked with him on a couple different things. Um, I think this might be the first Guild Wars thing he's done for me. Uh, but I just knew it's like. He'll send me three takes and, uh, and, you know, I'm listening to him like, damn it. The first take is perfect. And so I've got these two <laughs> other takes that no one will ever hear. Um, so, yeah. So he just, I mean, he played beautifully and, and it's got a little bit of extra effects on it to give it that otherworldly feel, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's very intimate feeling, but has delay and re- things that you normally wouldn't do mm-hmm. to an acoustic instrument in a concert setting, at least. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And then when it starts to pick up for the theme, you know, we've talked about this on your show in the past. Where um, themes, I'm, I'm so, I'm maybe overly sensitive about them now because of how we had the Heart of Thorns theme, which everybody loved, and and I, I like, I don't love it. I, there's cool things about it, but yeah, now it's almost a decade later. I would do a couple things differently. I wish I'd done a couple things differently. Um, too late, right? <laughs> then we yeah. did. Then we did Path of Fire. And that was the one where everybody just hated it. Uh, not everybody. There's I will say that if, what's this is another thing that I find really interesting about releasing stuff for an ongoing game like this. Everything new is always bad and everything that came before, oh that well, I couldn't it be like that thing. In the moment, yeah. you know, people forget or or I know that there are different people saying these things, but um I, I should speak carefully here cuz I I don't, don't, don't want to badmouth the fans, but I will just say there was a general sentiment that, you know, when Heart of Thorns came out, uh, maybe it's a little disappointing. Did Path of Fire comes out? Uh, maybe it's, this is a little disappointing. Heart of Thorns is better. Now, these are maybe a very vocal minority, as many things are on the internet. It can amplify that. Sure. Um, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. So please, <laughs> right. Unity team at ArenaNet, don't uh, get mad at me or fans. <laughs> um, but I've seen, I, I've seen this over the last decade, uh, reading yeah. comments and stuff sentiment about path of fire the theme has changed a little bit but it was unpopular let's put it that way mm. um generally speaking i liked it i understand why it was unpopular and i said about to kind of reconcile with end of dragons you know okay you want a theme let's go, here you go here let's yeah. give them a theme and this was another one but again i had that problem of like well we're, we don't have anything fun to rely on like with um End of Dragons, you know, there's all this cool Korean percussion and Korean sort of rhythmic structure that we can build around. Mm-hmm. We don't have that on this one. And we're not referencing any previous themes, which both yeah. Path of Fire and End of Dragons have little nods to, to the areas that we've been to in, in Guild Wars One. Um you know, we're flying, you know, or we're we have no safety net on this one, which is good mm-hmm. and bad. Um so I thought Okay, what's how am I going to get into this one? It's got to have you know a big brass theme. It's got to have a lot of energy. It's got to be catchy, uh, which are you know things I think I'm, are a little easier. I'm good at that. Um, but how can I make it a nod to? How can I make it feel Guild Warsy? So there is a there's one moment that's a very slight nod to the original Guild Wars two theme, and, yeah. and people will be able to pick on. It's like this kind of ascending cello line that plays. It's like a, ca- a counter line that plays at one point that I just lifted wholesale. And I thought, since we're, in, we're going into Uncharted Waters, um, let's, let's instead of seeing this as, uh, well, we, we need to ground people in the Guild Wars experience some way. So the music shares a lot of DNA with the original Guild Wars 2 theme and a lot of the original Guild Wars soundtrack. It's not really referencing any musical material except for that one cello line. But it's, it's kind of a nod to that, but also saying, like, hey, it's we're still Guild Wars, but we're going to go off in this direction. And that's, to me, what the bookends feel like. You know, mm-hmm. that feels like me in 2023 writing Guild Wars music. The middle bit is, like, let's sort of remix the the ingredients and deconstruct it uh, to make a different metaphor, a cooking metaphor. It's like <laughs> a deconstructed Guild Wars 2 theme. Um, so, like, uh, like molecular gastronomy, we've, like, made, like, foam you know, (laughs) foam theme and just draped it over the top. Uh, (laughs) um, I watch a lot of cooking shows, Uh, even though I don't cook. I just like eating. I like food. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so that, so that's, that was kind of what was happening there. And and I just wanted it to get, I, I, what I like about it is, again to go back to the car metaphor it's like it starts off really low and then it picks up the energy Mm -hmm. and then when it gets to the kind of b section of the theme it it settles down a little bit you think well is that it and then when it sort of restates the melody that final time is like it just gets big and adventurous and when you when you start feeling like you know that sort of almost like oh diddly beat um it's, it just, it's like, yes, we're gonna go on an, an adventure, and that's what you need for a theme. And, and again, that's the lesson I learned from Path of Fire is that you turn that game on, you hear, you hear the same thing every day. It's literally the piece of music that you will hear the most out of anything yeah. um, for years sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's gotta make you want to stay in the game and, and set the mood, and that's the whole purpose of it. Um, yeah. So I think we did a pretty good job with that on this one. And then I also just love how it settles back down into the violin solo at the end and just drifts away, you know, Um, and it allows you to kind of transition into the game from there. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell me then about, you know, because of the extremely hectic schedule, bringing in people to help. Tell me about what one, two, three, four, five, six other people to
1: help. Yeah, and and there might have been, there might have been some more uh, Mm. uh, uh, just around the edges, which sure I want to make sure I I credit them. Uh, But but yes, I will talk about I'll talk about that. So anybody knows me or watches videos. of me talking about this stuff online knows that I just don't, I don't particularly care for writing action and combat music. Yeah, You have to do it. It's, it's not everything. Uh, but, but yeah. in this type of game, it, it needs it. And most games need it. So I did write a couple, which we talked about some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing is to me, it's like writing one is like a marathon. I'm like, I did it. I wrote a piece <laughs> of action music and then, I, you know, I, I'm like, wait, I got to write more. Yeah, like so, 10 more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we were looking at what, what we needed, um, and I will say that we recorded, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but we um, we recorded an hour of music. Only 45 minutes is coming out with the expansion on August 22nd. Okay. Uh, so there'll be more coming later, but we had to front load it all so that, you know, we had one sort of chunk of time where we could get into the studio. So let's write it all and then we'll dole out the rest later mm-hmm. um so there was a lot and i looked at i looked at what we needed and I, and I looked at our timeline like i said i said i can give you about 25 minutes of music and that i think will cover all of the ambient music there's two ambient pieces that i didn't write um which will come out later i believe uh okay. that were written by brian atkinson and so brian mm. has been kind of um not really my lieutenant because I'm not, I don't work at the sort of full-time at the studio anymore, but he has taken the load of, of writing the cinematics music uh, and a lot of the action music. And he's, and he's really good at it. And then this time around I said, Hey, I, I want you to, to do some ambient stuff so that you're not always just feeling like, you know, I'm the action guy and I come in and, and I do this one thing. I want you know, yeah, here with some other colors for once. Um, and I, and he did a great job. Um, but, but even for him, You know, we asked him like, "Hey, in these few months, what do you think you can do?" He said, "Well, probably yeah, twenty-ish minutes or so." Yeah. Um, and that left a gap of about fifteen to twenty minutes of more music that we needed. And I, I said, "So the studio, the only way we're going to get this done on time is either Brian and I are going to kill ourselves working a hundred hours a week, and you're going to get." Maybe some subpar music here yeah, and there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, or we got to bring in some other people. And mm-hmm. so the people that we brought in are not uh, unfamiliar to the to the game, but m- new on the compositional side. So we have um, Bobby Brader, we have Jared Elias, we have Bobby Rose, we have Jamie Park, mm-hmm. uh, and then and Michael Paraskevis, uh, who did one track. And then I think. There was um some other help let me look here Sammy Copeland mm. uh did some something on maybe one of the stingers or something um and then uh we had Tyler oh gosh Tyler I'm so sorry I never know how to pronounce your last name it's Rydos R-Y-D-O-S-Z or Rydoj. okay I should ask him that yeah um <laughs> And then Thomas Kresge. Uh, so that's oh, wow. like the okay. whole, that's the whole music team. Okay. Um, and uh Bobby and uh, Bobby Rose, Bobby Brader, and Jared Elias were um orchestrators for End of Dragons. So they orchestrated oh. all of that. Okay. Uh, and so they knew Guild Wars, they knew, you know, they, yeah. they 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 knew the orchestra in Nashville. I knew what working with them was like. Mm-hmm. And I and I thought these they can handle it. Um Jamie. Yeah. Jamie is an interesting story. So Jamie is Korean, but she lives here in Los Angeles. Okay. Jamie was one of the first people that I reached out to for additional music help on End of Dragons. Um, okay. But the problem was she was a grad student at USC at the time and was ineligible to work uh, in the United States. She could she was on a student visa oh. and and that prohibits you from doing work for an American company, which we didn't know until we were a little further down the road than (laughs) I would have liked. And I had to just send a heartbreaking email being like, Jamie, I'm so sorry, but we can't figure this out. And, and, and I'm so glad that we were able to work with her on this.
0: Yeah. Um, Her track "Malays," I did like that track quite a bit.
1: Uh, and, and uh, you know, I hope I'm not talking in a turn here, but Jamie, she's very, she's a very sweet person. She's so kind. Uh, uh, and then when we started getting early passes on the, the music, you know, they all, all, everything they wrote was combat music. Um, so when we got hers in, it was like the heaviest and the darkest and the grittiest. And if you just, if you knew Jamie, it's such a contrast to who she is as a person. And I was like, wow, Jamie, this is like, this is like very metal you know like this is a pretty crazy track to come from you um but she did a great job then um uh so that was kind of the core team and and michael pereskivas is is somebody i met on this project michael's done a lot of work over the last five six years maybe longer with um christoph beck on his projects Mm -hmm. so i don't know what his first one would have been and and all i know is that in the last couple years he's done um and credit to chris for not you know bearing his name in the credits um but he's like co-composed like he, he co-composed the ant-man 3 score. Oh, cool. I think he co- co-composed uh uh the the hawkeye score on Disney Plus um mm. and he's mm-hmm. credited as such a lot of time this is like uh the dirty secret of Hollywood you know you you might be a, a ghost writer not get any credit which right. i think is terrible yeah. or you're you you have some strange political credit that's like additional arrangements or like synth programming yep. and that might mean you yeah. wrote all that track, but we can only call you the synth programmer, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. So, I like I I am adamant about everybody getting credit for their work. I didn't. There's one track where where Bobby Rose and I collaborated on because yeah. we were running running out of time, and you know, I saved it till the end. Again, not kind of looking at our spreadsheet to see what was needed. Until too late. And and I you know, on average these tracks run two minutes, maybe three minutes at most. Yeah. But this was gonna be an action track and it had to be four minutes. And we had like days to do it. And I'm like, god. oh my god, like what a nightmare. So I I wrote uh like two plus two minutes, fifteen seconds of something, and just said, Bobby, please just finish this yeah. and, and and that got us across the finish line. So that was on um The Beast Emerges. yeah and and it's like at about two and a half minutes it fully switches from mine to bobby's but then he sort of gracefully ended it so that we could loop it back to the beginning and he added some stuff to to my end and i had some notes about his yeah very much a collaboration but um yeah that i mean that was the only way to do it and that that, now what that method is extremely common on uh movie and tv soundtracks it's just no one talks about it for some reason um, but i'm i'm incredibly grateful for all of their help all of their writing i thought was phenomenal um and i love you know since going back to even before heart of thorns right with with lena elena rain being mm-hmm. the sort of original and 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 stan Lepard being the original sort of um additional music people uh yeah. uh it it's i've always tried to make sure that i'm not this gate gatekeeper that says like only i can write the music and i have to have my yeah. name on everything, or I have to sort of futz with something just to say, I yes, that's my music, or I right. you know, this wouldn't have existed without me. I love having other people's voices. I'm happy to do sort of creative direction, but I, I do it with a very light touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, to their credits, to all of their credits, so Jamie, the Bobbies, uh, and Michael, um, and Jared, this is, again, my fault because the pace we were working at, they, they actually wrote music that we had to throw out wholesale because oh, wow. it was combat music and it wasn't really to the brief, right? The, what end what we ended up needing was stuff that and you'll hear this, it's like heavy percussion, distort very distorted elements, a lot mm-hmm. of vocal vocal yeah. stuff. was in the creative brief that I kind of neglected to read before telling him to go nuts because I was sort of juggling <laughs> or keeping too many plates spinning. Yeah. So they they wrote these beautiful pieces and then played them for the studio. And they said, uh, this is kind of not even close to what we were looking for. And oh, no. And then I had to be oh, the no. bad guy and say, oh, guys, we blew it. I blew it. Um, oh. so can, we, can we start over? And to their credit, they were able to shift and and. Deliver what we needed, um, and so I have to. Uh, I'd like to publicly thank all of them for bearing with me on that that process. But that is, certainly, you know, the name of the game sometimes.
0: given the time constraint how did you, did you manage the stress of that because i'm sure that was hectic or did you just i mean how how do you do that as a person like how how does that manifest itself and then what happens when it's over do you sleep for a week or are you just on to the next what what happened
1: yes so i started this on end of dragons um that one was such a mammoth thing. And there was, there was a period of time in the last month leading up to the session where I had this crushing realization, which was if I don't do a couple of things, it's not going to get done. And I don't, I don't have, I can't afford to pay an assistant. I would love to, but, but these, this is typically assistant work in bigger studios. Um, Things like printing out what we call stems, which is, you know, elements that we're not recording live, getting sessions ready to send to the studio I had to do all of that because I thought, oh my gosh, it's coming up and no one's done this and no one knows this music better than I do. I just have to sit down and do it. And it was, I had a little whiteboard that I drew it all out on. It was like just every day, wake up. I brought my computer home. I didn't even have it at the studio because I didn't have time to commute. And I was like spending entire days just doing all this stuff. So that was a nightmare. Uh, And I thought we can't do that again. So part of, part of avoiding that this time was, looking at the schedule and crossing stuff off and saying, we can't do that. We can't do that. And scoping things way down. That doesn't mean there wasn't some stress, but it was, we got out ahead of it a lot earlier than I think we ever have, which was, uh, yeah. I'm very grateful for Cause there is, there's always stress, but we, we were able to avoid some of it. And then also like, passing stuff off like I'd finish a piece you know met- metaphorically like scribbling on a piece of paper and then like hand it over to my shoulder to Bobby Brader yeah. and say go you know um, and he managed his whole process with his team because in addition to writing the Bobbies and Jared and Jamie also orchestrated uh, not only yeah. their music but all of mine and all of Brian's so it was everything was sort of overlapped and that was the only way to do it And then at the session, I will say the session could have gone better. Um, when you scope something, so the, the plan uh, to, to record was, we had two days. We had one day with strings and woodwinds and then one day with brass. And that was based on, well, we did End of Dragons in the three days. We had two days of strings and woodwinds and then one day of brass. So if we're doing, that was 90 minutes of live music. If we scale that down to 60, we should be able to do it in two. Mm-mm. Because so much of it is combat music, you know. 30 minutes, 35 minutes of combat music is way different than 35 minutes of light, airy ambient music. Yeah. Hard, hard to sight read, hard to lay down. There's a couple things we actually didn't get live, which I'm not super happy about, but it just, Mm. I was looking at the clock. I'm like, we don't have time. You know, we'll, we'll get the brass live tomorrow. We'll mix in some samples. We'll maybe get a soloist to overdub a live violin and viola on a couple things. Paul, Paul did Paul Cartwright who did the solo and the theme. There's one track, I think it's the track that that Bobby and I did together, the four and a half minute one. Okay. There's some figures in there that just don't sound good in samples, very fast runs and things. Yeah. So we got him to overdub it, do four or five overdubs and layer those in. And and it's, you know, it, it could sound better, but it sounds pretty good, I would say. We saved it. Yeah. Um, but it was stressful. Uh, it was stressful. That first day in the studio with the strings and woodwinds was very stressful for me. Um, and you just got to kind of yeah. hold your breath and know when to say, hey, we're moving on. We got it. And the performance is good enough. Maybe it could be better, but we don't have time. And then afterwards, I started this on End of Dragons. And and I, every time I have to explain this to my mom, she's like, you're going again? <laughs> uh, so after End of Dragons, I went to Disney World because uh, <laughs> we were in... Um, we did that in Nashville. My dad lives in Florida and and I just went, to, I hadn't seen him for a while because of sort of COVID times. And so I went to yeah. go visit him and he lives close enough. I was like, Hey dad, I'm going to come. We're going to hang out for the night. And then I'm going to Disney world. <laughs> and I went alone for like three days. It was, and it was awesome. Um, and now living in LA, Disneyland is close enough that it's it part. It's just, I've learned this in my time here is going there as an adult and, and alone uh, <laughs> is like not as weird. People don't look at you that strange just because it's so close and you can kind of pop in for a few hours and eat some garbage and then go on a ride and then go home. <laughs> so, yeah, like the week after I got back from Nashville... I was. It was like a Wednesday, which is the best day to go um, because it's the lightest day. I was like, you know, what? I have an annual pass, so I go kind of whenever I want.
0: <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was like, I'm just, just going to go, and I did, and I rode Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion and Rise of the Resistance, and just had a good time, <laughs> and you know, let let all the stress evaporate, yeah. and, and that worked. But yeah, it's, like I said, you know, I'm about to turn 42, and here I am, explaining to my mom like, oh, sorry, I, I, I missed your call. I was at Disneyland. She's like, again? (laughs) She doesn't get it.
0: That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Not the answer I expected, and it's my favorite answer. I don't know if you could have given a better answer.
1: It's the Super Bowl answer, you know? It's like, what are you going to do now? I'm going to go to Disney World. Yep,
0: yep. Um, I really enjoyed this, as always, but I mean, I I loved how different it is, and I loved, it's just beautifully lush, and it was a real treat to hear it, so... Um, is Thank there anything you. else you want to say before we before we go that i didn't ask you or you want to make sure you point out
1: um well by the time this comes out the game will have already been out true which i think is good yeah uh but yeah it's coming out august 22nd um i believe it's twenty four 99 it'll be available uh both on the sort of guildwars two dot com as well as steam um and then that initial i mentioned this before so there's the expansion that's coming out on the 22nd of August and then there's going to be more later. And right. when you buy it, when you buy it, that, that one single purchase will get you all of the additional content. Oh, nice. cool. yeah. Um, so you've got, you know, a year's worth of stuff to look forward to and, and, you know, some, some bonus music to look forward to.
0: Love it. Awesome. McLean. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for chatting today.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's my pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Level With Emily. You can learn more about McLean Demer, See a playlist and support Level With Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with McLean on the Level With Emily YouTube channel. And please subscribe to that channel so you don't miss any of our new videos. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Level With Emily, and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level With Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. Here at Level With Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.